listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you do that, if you are visiting with us today, let me welcome you. My name is Tyler Kirkpatrick. I am one of the pastors here. And it's a joy to be gathered with you this morning. It's a joy to be able to open up the Word of God and to consider what He has to say to us. And so if you are visiting, we are just so very thankful that you are amongst us this morning. All right, well, as you're turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to ask you, have you ever looked at a pool and thought, that is not supposed to look like that? There are like two giggles, so three of us have seen a pool like this. But maybe it was just like slightly cloudy, or you looked and you were maybe opening up your pool for the first time, or someone you know was opening up their pool, and there was actually an algae monster living in there. I, either way, you, you look at the pool and you know just by looking at it, something here is not right. Something has gone wrong, in fact. Well, the reality is, and I don't want to offend you or your intelligence, but let me tell you a secret. If you don't properly treat a pool and tend to it over time, it will become increasingly murky, and it will continue to grow murkier and murkier until there is, in fact, an algae monster living in it. And you will look at the pool and think, this is not supposed to look like this. In fact, we may even still call it a pool, but really it, it looks more like a swamp. Well, what if instead of a pool, we were actually talking about a Christian? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not are, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that is the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile." So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is the Apostle Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. That's the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. We pray that you would work these truths into our hearts, that you would reveal by the power of your Spirit Father, what it is you have for us from this text. And Lord, we don't want to just become more knowledgeable people this morning. We don't just want to leave this place knowing more about you or even knowing more about your grace to your people. But Father, we want to leave this place being impacted and affected, knowing that your word, as you say, is sharper than any any two-edged sword, which means, Father, it cuts to the core of who we are. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that that you would cut us to the core, that we would know the ways in which we are falling short this morning, and that you would apply the grace of your gospel to us, that we might be more like your son than when we came here this morning. And Father, we ask you that because we understand that you are the one who alone can do this, and it pleases you, God, to do this work in us. And so we ask it of you now, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, maybe you know somebody like this. Someone who confesses to be a Christian, and yet it seems like they serve themselves more than they serve Jesus. In fact, maybe you're thinking right now, that's, that's, that's me. I feel like if I look over my life for any extended period of time, I, I do kind of feel like I, I just serve myself almost more than I serve Jesus Christ, my Savior. Or maybe, better yet, at times it's really all of us. Well, I've broken this passage down into three main parts. First is the problem, second is the evidence, and then finally is the solution. And so the problem is this in Corinth. The Corinthians aren't growing in their faith. So as Paul is hearing about this church that he had visited and planted really three years prior, he hears word from this lady named Chloe. Her people have come to Paul and they've said, listen, here are some major problems that are happening in Corinth. You need to know this, 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 and by the way, also this is happening. And Paul is disturbed by this because just three years prior, he was with them and many of them came to Christ by the hearing of the gospel. And so as he hears all of these horrible things from Corinth, he, he, he writes them a letter. In 1 Corinthians is a part of that letter. And the problem that Paul identifies in this church is first that they are not growing in their faith. And so I want to get into Paul's mind, though, because there's, there's been a lot of argument over chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians as to whether these are really Christians, whether they're carnal Christians, whether they're not Christians at all. And so I want to make sure that we know and establish in our mind who they actually are. And so I want to find out, who are you talking to, Paul? Because if we don't know who he's talking to in Corinth, there's no way on earth we're going to figure out if he's talking to us or not. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says this, To the church of God that is in Corinth, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Verses 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." I haven't convinced you yet. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Okay, so why is this important? Why did we take that much time to read more Scripture before we even start preaching? I think it's, it's honestly pretty simple. Paul wants them to understand in Corinth and wants us to understand this morning that faith is not and will never be a product of performance. Paul is telling this church when he speaks to them in these honestly very kind terms, he is telling them, you are those who have been acted upon. Now, that's really good news for a church that is really, really messed up. That your standing is not before God based on how good of a Christian you are or how good this season of your Christian life is, but by the fact that you have been acted upon by God himself. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, what he's essentially saying there is that the mystery of God was decreed before the foundations of the earth. That is, the mystery of the gospel was in God's mind before we were even a thought on this earth. Paul is saying God has always intended to draw a people to himself that were not deserving of being drawn. You were once an awful dirty sinner and yet you were washed by God. Not because you were good enough, but because in God's kindness he washed you. He brought you to himself in all of your filth, and he then sanctified you by his spirit. He took you from being in one position and placed you in another. He ripped you out of the world, and he placed you into the church. 
Not because you were desirable. In fact, Paul tells us when we just read that we were, were lowly and despised. He chose what was foolish to the world. And so this is what he's telling the Corinthians. Your faith is not validated by your works here. And so everything that follows is linked to the gift of God's grace in their lives. That's going to be really important because he is going to address some really difficult things, and he wants them to remember that everything he says that is tough and difficult is linked to God's grace in their life. In fact, it's like, it's like he's saying, whatever God asks of you, dear believer, God will enable of you. And so these things that I will ask, these things that I will address, these sins that I will call out, you have the ability by God's grace to overcome them. And so don't read me coming to you in this letter and coming with a heavy hand to destroy you. I'm coming that you might be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you might see the beauty of it in your life, even as you are really, really messed up. But there is a problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in verse 2, he tells us what it is. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So this is speaking in Acts chapter 18 when Paul first went to the Corinthians and he, he preached the gospel. Many of them came to Christ. They began the church there. And he's telling them, when I was there, I, I fed you with milk. And okay, so you're like, what is milk? What is solid food? I don't know. I've, I've read everything I can possibly read. Everyone gives a lot of examples. I have no idea. All I know is that milk is something you eat when you're young, and solid food is something you eat when you're mature. You figure it out. I have no idea. What he's saying is you were baby Christians, and I was feeding you with milk. The problem, though, verse 2, and even now you are not ready. So three years later, he's still realizing that they are infants in Christ. They are babies. Paul expects of them that they would have grown in this time. But again, why does he expect that? Why does, why does he presume that that would happen? Not because of who they are, not because of how awesome the church in Corinth was, but because of what he believes God has done in their hearts. And so he assumes you, you should have grown by now. What is happening? But everything that he has heard from Chloe's people tells him that the church in Corinth is full of immature people. Certainly not all of them, but many of them are immature in the faith, and they're still acting that way. And so as Paul looks at them, he looks and he sees what's happening, and he realizes this is not supposed to look like this. Something is hindering their growth. When we travel, uh, we have two animals. We have a dog and a cat. Uh, we love both of them dearly. We love the cat more. I'm not a cat person. It's just she's better than our dog. <laughs> but whenever we travel, we have to have somebody come and house sit for us because if you, you, like you can't let your animals die. I don't know if you know that. So you can't leave them alone and let them die. And so we let people come into our house and watch our house and feed our animals. And so usually when we're traveling home, for instance, this past Christmas, Leaving family, when you say you're leaving at 5 p.m. to make the 10-hour drive, do you know what that means? You are not leaving at 5 p.m. 
you're going to leave at 8 p.m. and drive through the middle of the night because leaving and saying goodbye is really hard. Now, typically what happens is we're texting and on the phone with whoever's watching our house and our animals, and we say, hey, thank you so much. We'll be home sometime around this time, so if you can feed them then, that'd be great. All right, the person that's house-sitting, very responsible, they do exactly what we say. We end up leaving seven days later than we originally said we would. Now, what happens, I don't know if you know this either, an animal, as they go throughout their day, having not had any more food, they get hungrier and hungrier. Nobody knew that but me. So what happens is the hunger is not an issue. The issue is that their hunger needs to be satisfied. And so inevitably, every time we come home, our trash has been torn through. Things have been eaten off the counter. There are even things that our dog has eaten that we've had to visit the vet for. It happens almost every single time because we just can't say goodbye and come home. And our dog ends up eating things that are not good for her. Her, her craving for food needs to be satisfied, and she finds whatever she can find to satisfy it. You know, we're really not so different. And I'm not talking, is he going to be done by noon so we can go get our lunch? The answer is, I don't know. I have no idea whether that will happen or not. But that's not what I'm talking about. The, the reality is, is that if we are not taking in God's good gifts to us, then we will find anything that we can find to satisfy us. I want you to know that if you, and, and please don't hear me being legalistic, it's not my intention at all, but, but I want you to know, and I think what Paul will tell the Corinthians many times, is that if you give up the good things that God has given you, you will seek to satisfy your longings elsewhere. And so if we give up the Word of God in our life, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's Word to His people, there are consequences to that. We are made in the image of God, Genesis 1.26 tells us. We are made not only relational people, we are intellectual people as well, because God is a God of intellect. And so if we give up the wisdom of God, we will certainly satisfy ourselves with the wisdom of the world. And the same is true for the church. This church is still gathering, though maybe, this is maybe heretical, maybe they should have taken a break, I don't know. But they were still gathering. And the reality is, is this messed up church, do you understand this? This messed up church, do you want to know one of the things God used in their life to grow them in their faith eventually? The very place they were messed up at. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and it's in the church of Corinth that God grows them. If we give up gathering together, I want you to know that we are giving up something good that God has intended for us, and there are consequences to it. And we will seek to, uh, I, I can, I, I don't have time, but I can make the case that God's church, God's church is God's intention for His people, that you are actually meant to be gathered together. It is not optional for you or for me. 
And if we do not, if we forsake the assembling together, we will try to find it somewhere else. We will join a club. We will start rooting for a sports team, and we will go to every one of their sporting events. We will seek what we have been given here somewhere else. It is a matter of who we have been created to be in the image of God. And so this is what has happened to the church in Corinth. We don't really know how fast or how long these things have been happening, but at some point they return to the desires of their flesh. They began living with the belief that their own preferences, their own desires, and their own wisdom were adequate guides to how, for how to live the Christian life. But how do we know? Well, point to the evidence. The Corinthians are behaving like infants. So infants are, um, are self-consumed beings. Uh, I'm not going to say this family's name because I don't want to embarrass them. But they have many children, uh, all of whom are boys, and their fourth son, I won't say his name, I'll just call him Box. And this family that has four children, by the way, they're all boys, their youngest son uh, does this thing that it, none of their other children, at least uh, this is what I hear, none of their other children have ever done this. But this youngest son of theirs, anytime he wants anything, at, like at all, whether it's get me down, give me that toy, I want this food, he literally just says the phrase me over and over again. Me, 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 me. That's what infants do. They, they don't think past themselves. They are totally consumed with what they want or what they think they need. And that's what's happening here in the church of Corinth. Paul calls them babies, infants in Christ. And so Paul's concern for them is that they're not living in a way that honors God. Now, they have such a petty issue happening here in chapters 1 through 4. What's the petty issue? They have a favorite preacher, and they're literally creating gangs over their favorite preacher. And I can only assume after church gets out in Corinth, all the varying gangs like meet in a street somewhere and like throw up their gang signs and maybe start fighting. I have no idea. But, but they have a favorite preacher. And we might look at it and think, okay, well, who cares? Have your favorite teacher. Well, what Paul is concerned about is that these divisions are not really about a division within the church as much as they are about the divisions that are being revealed in the Corinthians' hearts. They're acting like infants. They are self-consumed. They're enthralled by their own preferences and their own desires and it's blinding them to what they have been created to be as the church. So verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's follow Paul's logic here. He says, because you have placed your faith in Christ, because you have confessed your sin and looked to the cross of Calvary, you have been saved by God. His grace has been extended to you by faith. Because of that, He has given you His Spirit to dwell in you. Because God's Spirit dwells in you, you are now God's temple. You are God's dwelling place. 
first and foremost, corporately as the church, but also as individual believers. Since the Spirit has been given to you, and since you are God's dwelling place, that means you are holy. You're you're a holy place. You have been sanctified, you have been washed, you have been made all of these things in Christ, and now you are holy. You You are a righteous person. Well, look with me in chapter, or Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. <clears throat> this is the famous scene where Jesus goes into the temple and he sees all of these awful things happening inside of the temple. They're selling things. They've just made a mockery of the place where you're supposed to go and worship God. Here's what Jesus does in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. It says, and he said to him, friend, oh wait, I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> Verse chapter 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought, bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Verse 13. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. What the church in Corinth is doing, what they have done, is they have made worship of God about themselves. They, they have taken the position that is to be God's, that is their lives are to be holy and lived in holy living to God as an act of worship, and they have turned that around and they have lived for themselves. Really, it's just a form of idolatry. Instead of serving God, they're, they're serving something else in their life. And in this case, it just happens to be, be them. But what Paul wants us to know and what he's telling the Corinthians here by using this language of spirit, temple, holy, is that they have been recreated to display God's glory. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 of his book, I can't remember exactly the verses, but he tells them that they are a holy people, a royal priesthood. That is, you are to be a picture to the world of God's grace, what he has done, of collecting you to himself, of taking a sinful, unworthy people and drawing them into salvation, in taking you from a place of judgment into a place of being justly dealt with. Not because of you, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You know, one of the things we will definitely struggle with until the Lord returns is living our life for ourselves. It's just true. You and I will struggle for the rest of our life until Jesus comes with living this life for, for me. But Paul wants us to know through the church here in Corinth that, that Christ can never just be an appendage to our lives. That Jesus or a little bit of faith or a little bit of church, that, that can't just be added into the way you want to live your life. As if, if you, you get a little hit of Jesus every week and then you could just go about your week and you're good to go. And then someday 
Christ will return and you'll just be good because you had your hit of Jesus every now and again. Paul does not want the church in Corinth to believe that for a moment because that's the way they're living, that we can do this church thing, we can come into this place, but yet our preferences, our desire, our conscience, that can dictate everything as we gather. And Paul wants them to realize that is not what you're called to in the Christian life. In fact, he tells us that Jesus is our foundation. What, what does that mean? That means the very base point of the Christian life, the sole purpose of the Christian life, is Jesus. It's who we are now. We are our people, we are children, we are followers, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you realize that people of an undivided heart, people who long for Jesus and follow Jesus with their life, do you know why they're such a powerful testimony to the world? It's because the only thing that can give an answer as to why that's true in that person's life is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the power of the cross in their life. Nobody just willingly lives their life sacrificially unless something has happened to them. And so when we live our lives in a way that pursues Christ and makes Him famous and exalts Him over us, it's a testimony to the cross of Christ. It's a testimony that Christ has died for us and that we have been changed radically. But before we move on uh, to the final point, I want to answer the question as to whether Paul's actually talking to you and to me. I, I hear what you're saying. I see these people, right? We, we don't have any divisions in our church. I don't, well, maybe I have a pre favorite preacher. I'm not going to tell you who it is, right? There's, there's not really these types of things happening in here. And so I don't really think he's talking to me. I'm generally just a pretty good person. I come here. I do what I'm supposed to do. I, I don't think Paul's really talking about me. Well, I do, I do think that each of us at, at various points in our life will, will be a Corinthian. I, I think in seasons of your life, you will, you will be a Corinthian. I, I know that that's true of my life. There are moments when I just feel like I am really on fire for the Lord, and I, I'm just really serving Him. Reading my Bible is easier than it is at other times. Praying seems to be more fruitful. I, I feel like I have good things to say. I feel like my conversations with God are, are, are helpful to me. I'm not losing my temper with my children And then there are just seasons in my life where I'm like, what is happening? Maybe everyone else will look at me and think, man, he's doing pretty well. He's got it together. Look at him. But in my heart, I know that I'm being torn between serving God and serving me. And I know you have to feel that way too. That you have those moments where you just don't feel like a good Christian. And you may be even left thinking, like, what is going on? I call myself a Christian, but I don't look like one. 
Well, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is not an excuse for us to just be like, okay, well, that's just how it's going to be sometimes. Sometimes we'll just be better than other times. Well, this is not telling us that that's the case, (laughs) that we should just be okay with being good Christians at one moment and then just really pitiful in the next. Paul's not giving us an excuse here. He's giving us a call to action. What Paul wants for the Corinthians and what he wants for every church who would read this book for the the entirety of history until Christ returns is he wants us to live a life that pleases the Lord. Paul's desire for them is that they would live a life that pleases the Lord. And so does God. You'll remember, Paul tells us, God is the one who gives the growth. If God is the one who gives the growth in our lives, don't you think it would please Him to actually do the work that He wants to do? So the final point is this, the solution. Seek the wisdom of God. So Paul ends in verses 18 through 23 by telling them not to exalt in their own wisdom. Right? Don't, don't exalt in your own wisdom. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And he's telling, remember, he's telling this to Christians, to believers. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Why does he say that? Well, he tells them because it's, it's a deceptive thing to do. It's, it's self-deceiving to trust in your own fleshly wisdom. And the reason is, is because it tempts us to misconstrue God's wisdom into wisdom that benefits us. It's that same thing that happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when the serpent went to Eve and he said, did God really say? That's the same lie that the devil has been telling us since that moment. Every single one of us. And every moment of your life, you have an opportunity in your fleshly wisdom, in your sinfulness, in your fallenness to say, did God really say Is it really that important? Isn't this just that person's perspective? Our wisdom is always trying to misconstrue the wisdom of God in a way that benefits us. Always. Our wisdom diverts our eyes from seeing Jesus Christ. Our wisdom tells us that we don't really need God's grace that much. I'm a good person, I can live a generally good life, and that's how it will work out in the end. Well, true wisdom will always tell us to look away from ourselves and look to Jesus Christ. Always, without fail. But what's the answer? What are we to do? What is this church in Corinth to do? Well, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The answer, if this is who you are today, is reverential humility. It's it's reverence and humility before God. It means pursuing God at the cost of dying to ourselves. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Understand, if you're struggling with your, your walk today, if, if you feel like, man, this is one of those seasons, I feel like I am an infant Christian, I feel really immature, I, I've just really been botching this whole Christianity thing, if, if that's you, go to the Lord and tell him that. Confess to him that you've been living according to your own wisdom and that you would like to die to that and live for him. And God will honor that because God loves to give growth. It's who he is. He gives men and women to plant and to water. He gives men to preach the word of God to churches. But it's God who gives the growth. So go to him and ask him. You see, maturity isn't just believing that we're redeemed by God's grace. It's living as if we really are. Maturity isn't just believing that we're redeemed by God's grace. It's living as if we really are. Your works will never save you. You will never win your way to heaven. But if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, Paul's expectation is that you would live a holy life that you would live and seek and pursue God over all things, as imperfectly as it may be. Paul tells us that in the end, we will stand before the Lord. And our only hope at that moment is going to be Jesus. Every person in this room will stand before the Lord and give an account as to why you are here. And your only hope will be Jesus your only hope will be, I was a sinner, undeserving, and God, by the sacrifice of his son, gave me grace. But we're also going to stand before the Lord with our life's work. We're going to stand before God with everything that we have done. We're going to stand and we're going to look at the things in our life and we're going to see whether they were precious stones, gold and silver, or whether they were wood, hay, and straw. And when they're tested, as you think about your life, as you think about the future, when your life's work is tested, I want you to ask yourself, will what I've built be found faithful? Will what I've built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, will the works of my life be found faithful? Here in just a moment, Robert's going to come and lead us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you're with us today and you are a believer, you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, then we want to, want to ask you to join us in celebrating this meal together. But, but if you've not ever done that, if you've not confessed your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then we would ask you not to join us in this meal not, not to shame you or to call you out in any way, but we take very seriously what God's Word says when He tells us not to take of the supper in an undeserving manner. And one of those undeserving ways is certainly having never placed our faith in Christ. But the worship team is going to come and lead us in worship, and then Robert will come after they have played and, and lead us in taking the elements together. 
And so as the worship team comes, you can stand and you can come and receive the elements as you're ready. And then Robert will lead us together. But before that, I want to pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we just pray that you would work your word into our hearts and into our lives. God, that you would give us the growth that you, Lord, love to give. I know I speak for myself this morning when I say (laughs) there are just times when I feel completely unworthy to even be called your child. And yet the good news is is that my performance is not what saves me. It is your grace that you have given through Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would help me and help my friends here today live our lives for you. That you would help us to pursue you more than we pursue ourselves. That you might be exalted in our holy living. And that Jesus Christ through us might be testified to and exalted. And that people would see and smell a pleasing aroma through us of the gospel that has saved us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.